We're glad that we have this opportunity to come together on Sunday evening in this online sermon series that we've been doing on the subject of Bible authority. We believe that Bible authority is such a very important subject for us. We need to know it to make sure that what we're doing conforms with what God wants us to do. Basically, when we talk about Bible authority, we're talking about how do you go to the Bible and from it determine what God would have us to be doing. So Bible authority is really an extremely important, a critical study for us. We, uh, as, as Josh just prayed, we need to be able to understand these things ourselves and then share it with others. Uh, religious division and all the controversy in the religious world would just melt away if everybody properly understood and applied Bible authority. And so it is really important for us to know and also be able to teach these principles. You know, our whole lives are regulated by authority. Uh, in, in fact, for instance, if you were driving on the road and you were stopped by a police officer uh, for some traffic violation, <clears throat> but your response to the police officer was, well, I didn't know about that. I didn't, I didn't know that that was the rule. Uh, I think the police officer would respond by saying, it's your job to know what the rules are, and ignorance is no excuse. We've heard that forever. And so the same thing is true religiously. It's our job to know what God wants us to do. And He has perfectly revealed to us His will, told us very carefully what He wants us to be doing. The Holy Spirit has done a, a, a perfect job in revealing the will of God to us, and therefore we need to learn it and obey it. And Bible authority is, is of course, the, that fundamental subject of studying God's Word and learning from it what He wants us to do. This is our third lesson. We've been doing these on Sunday nights during this lockdown period. And Lord willing, we're going to continue this. Uh, uh, and this is our third lesson. I just want to quickly review what we talked about in the first two lessons. I want you to remember, of course, that our authority for religious activity does not come from human sources. Uh, it, it does not come, for instance, from what other men may say. Religious conventions and synods and men getting together and, and vote on religious subjects and legislating laws and rules. Our authority in religion does not come from that. But maybe even more practically important, our religious authority didn't come from ourselves either. It didn't come from what we think, what our opinions are. It's, it's not based upon what your preacher says you ought to be doing. It's not based upon what elders of a local congregation would dictate. Our source of authority does not come from humanity. We know that our authority must come from God. Uh, we look to the Bible to find out what we should do. And specifically when we look to the Bible, we look to the New Testament because it is in the New Testament that God has revealed for us today what He wants us to be doing. We've talked plenty of times about the Old Testament and the great value of the inspired Old Testament of God, that there's so much for us to learn, but that's not our authority today. We learn from it, but our authority, our law, our commands to obey today are in the New Testament. Last week we talked about the three principal methodologies by which God instructs us in His Word. When we look to the Word of God, what do we look for? Well, first of all, we look for direct commands or statements. 
when the when the, the New Testament plainly says do this or don't do that, I mean that's as easy as it gets. That's very understandable. It doesn't take a lot of discerning. When it simply says do this and don't do that by direct command or statement, then that's what we've got to do. That's the first method, the easiest method to determine. The second is by approved example. When we see inspired men of the New Testament acting, uh, conducting affairs, engaged in various efforts, we can observe what they do. And if we find that it's an approved example, then we are to imitate that. We talked about that last week. Now, there are some examples in the New Testament that are not approved. The Bible, the New Testament tells us about the acts of some Christians. In fact, we even talked about a case with the Apostle Peter himself where he was wrong in what he did. His error is exposed. That's not an approved example. But wherein we have an example, an approved example, then that's authoritative to us and we ought to be acting upon the authority of approved examples. And then the third method, which is a little more, I guess it requires a little bit more of our discerning. We have to use our heads, use the logic and reasoning capabilities that God gave us. But the third methodology we refer to as necessary inference. The scripture implies something that should be done. We draw an inference from that. It must be a necessary inference. It must be an inescapable conclusion based upon the evidence that is presented. Necessary inference is also then one of the ways that God authorizes it. Command example, approved exa- uh, command or statement rather, approved example, necessary inference. Those are the ways that God authorizes us to act. Now tonight... We want to add to these things to discuss the difference between what we would identify as specific authority, generic authority, and expediency. Now, those, that's what we want to talk about tonight. We want to talk about these three things here tonight uh, and, and try to get a grasp on how these impact our understanding of Bible authority. When we talk about specific authority, by definition, that is what is precisely formulated, restricted, or explicit. Specific authority limits us to that which is precisely stated. We'll expound upon that here in just a minute. When we talk about generic authority, we're talking about that which is general, not specific. When we have generic authority, it includes, because it is general in nature, it includes all the methods or ways for doing the thing which is authorized. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute. And then when we speak of expediencies, the word expediency suggests a means to an end, that which is fit or suitable for the purpose. And so when we have general authority, then we have to use our judgments, make good decisions about carrying out what has been authorized that hasn't already been specified to us. Again, more information in just a minute. So, specific, generic, and expediency, that's what we want to build upon tonight. Okay, let's use an example. If I were to say, go get some food, well, that's a command, right? That's a a command, but it's actually a very general command or generic, general or generic as we sometimes say. 
not much has been specified there. And so there's a lot of freedom to make decisions, authority to act, freedom to choose. Uh, for instance, if, if, that, if I issued that command, then I would not be specifying how you should go. You could walk, you could run, you could ride in a car, you could go any way you wanted to go. I haven't told you how to obtain the food. You could buy it or barter or even grow it, I suppose. There hasn't been, there's not any specificity there about how to obtain the food. Uh, and, and furthermore, I haven't spelled out what kind of food to get. So this is a very general statement. Go get some food. Very generic in its, in its message. But if I sort of refined that a little bit, what if I said go to a store and buy some bread? Well, now uh, there's a little specifics here. For instance, I said buy. And so you would not be at liberty to trade or barter or grow. You're supposed to buy. And notice I also said go to a store. So I, I, that, that would exclude uh, going to a farmer directly or going to a farmer's market or doing something else. Now I have specified go to a store to get, to buy, to go to a store to buy some food. But there are still some discretionary things here. Some, there's some that is general, that has not been specified. I haven't said what kind of a store to go to. I haven't said what kind of food to buy. So those are still left in the realm of general. Some is, some is specified now. You've got to buy at a store, but which store and what food, that's still general. See, so we've narrowed it down some, but, and so there's some specified, some general. You get the idea. Not to over, uh, work this illustration, but what if I said, Joe, drive a car to a store and buy a loaf of bread? Well, as you see here now, more specifics are given. Now I've identified an individual. Joe is to go. He's to drive a car to a store and buy what? He's to buy bread. And so, uh, several things more are specified. But again, you'd have to say, there's still some generality there. Which car should he drive? What store should he go to? What kind of bread should he buy? Again, not specified, so it's still, those things are still in the realm of general, uh, generally authorized activity. Okay, one more. We'll just refine it one more time. Joe, drive my car to Kroger and buy a loaf of whole wheat bread. Well, now, as you see, we just keep getting more and more specific. And as you get more specific, then it takes away the liberty to make choices. Now, I want you to drive my car. And so it's not just any old car, it's my car. Now I have specified, go to Kroger. I specified the store. And now I have said, I want whole wheat bread. So, Joe would not be authorized to take a bus ride a horse or walk because he's been told to drive and he's been told not to just take any car but take my car. He's been told to go to Kroger, don't go to Walmart, uh, don't go to Buy for Less, don't go to any other stores that are available. Go to Kroger. He's not, he's, he's not given the 
option of choosing other stores and buy whole wheat bread. There's a lot of different kinds of bread, but now I've specified I want whole wheat bread. And so you get the idea. As the one who's giving commands here, the more specific I become, the less choice that the instructee, in this case Joe, the less choice he has as I become more specific. Now, I think that is just all so obvious, right? Uh, that does not take a lot of brain power to understand that. We talk and reason and communicate that way every day, literally every day. Our conversations are, are in that sort of mode. We understand specific and general. As we specify more things, less things are left to discretion, less things are general. All right, let's, let's look to the scriptures then in this regard. Specific authority. Sometimes God specifies exactly what he wants. The classic example of this is Noah in Genesis chapter 6. Remember, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6 verse 8. And he was instructed by God in verse 14, Genesis 6 verse 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Now, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of speculation about what gopher wood was. And I don't think anybody can say for sure. Uh, some people think it may have been like our cypress wood today. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't even matter. It's clear that Noah knew what it was. And so since God specified, make thee an ark of gopher wood, then that took away from him any option to do otherwise. When that was specified, that's what he had to use. He, he could not use oak or pine or cherry or walnut. You know, Noah might have quibbled on that point. He might have said, well, you know, oak's a lot more available. Uh, pine is easier to work with. I, I suppose all kinds of arguments could have been offered. Noah didn't offer any of those arguments because of, I think it's clear that he understood when God specifies what he wants, then that takes it off the table. When what God said is specified, there is no option there. Uh, again, I think the case of Noah with gopher wood is the classic one. Some people say that when, in, in order for a thing to be wrong, it must be specifically condemned. That's what some people say. For instance, in the case of Noah, God didn't say, don't use oak, don't use pine, don't use walnut, don't use... He didn't have to say that. When he specified what he wanted, everything else was condemned, right? Everything else was excluded. And so the people who would say that in order for a thing to be wrong, it must be specifically condemned. The problem is that they don't understand specific authority. Do you get that? Specific authority. When something is specified, everything else is off the table. Everything else is not allowed. Specific authority limits to what is specified. Really important, really important. We're going to talk about some applications of that notion here in just a minute. Now let's talk about generic or general authority. Again, a classic example of generic authority would come from the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach. Go. We want to concentrate on, that's a command, right? Go ye therefore 
and teach. And so go is a command, but it's a generic command. And thus it would have allowed the apostles to whom he initially made that instruction and us, this, this instruction keeps rolling down generation by generation of Christian, the, the, the command to go, that comes to us today, just keeps rolling forward generation by generation. To those to whom it was originally stated, the go gave them some options. They could walk, uh, they could ride an animal, they could take a sailing ship. And we know that they did those sort of things, right? Uh, we know that they went in the, in the means that were available to them then. They went in various ways because the command to go was general. For us, we even have more options. Today, we can, uh, uh, we can go by car or plane. We can go by electronic media. What we're doing right here uh, by this streamed sermon tonight is a means of going. We're getting it out there. We're taking the message. And so the command to go is a generic command and it allows us to go in any way, any legitimate legal way that we can, we can go. There are some people who argue that in order for a thing to be scriptural, it must be specifically mentioned. Now, these people are at the other end of the spectrum of those that we described earlier. Some people say that if you're going to do it, the scripture has to say that you can specifically and I believe the problem with these folks is that they don't understand the concept of generic authority. When something is generally authorized, we are given the freedom to choose, use our discretion, make judgments about how to carry them out. All right, let's talk about expediency. Scriptural expediency is allowed only when opinion or judgment is allowed. Expediency is only involved when we've given the option to choose. Expediency, now this is really important, never. Expediency never comes into play when things have been specified. So expediency only applies to generic authority. Only in things generically authorized are we allowed expediency. Okay, get that? Now, let me read you that definition we had earlier. Expediency is a means to an end. It involves that which is fit or suitable for the purpose. Okay, so when God hasn't specified, when he's just given us general instruction, then we should use that which is fit or appropriate, suitable to get the job done, a, a, a means to an end, a good way to do the job. Let's use Noah as an example again. Go back to the idea of Noah building an ark in Genesis chapter 6. Now, we already talked about something was specified, gopher wood. He didn't have choice, no choice, no expediency. He couldn't have said, well, you know, pine is a softer wood and would be lots easier to use, to work, to, to, to construct this. He couldn't do that because it, gopher wood is specified. But think about how many things are not specified in that. He was not told how to cut the timber. He was not told how to hew the logs. He was, not how, he was not told how to transport the logs from where they were cut to the place where he was going to build the ark. He wasn't told what tools to use. He wasn't told what uh, kind of methods to use in 
hoisting and erecting the ark. It would have been a huge job. We've talked about that a lot. And some of you have had the opportunity to go up into northern Kentucky and visit the full-scale ark replica that they've built up there. And you can imagine what a tremendous job this would have been. Noah wasn't quite possibly could have employed people to work for him in the construction of that ark because those things weren't specified. One thing was, make the ark of government. We know also that the dimensions of the ark and some of the ways that it was finished out were specified. But in, in regards to what was not specified, Noah could use his judgment as to how to carry that out. Let me show you another example. This is an interesting one. This has to do with an episode that occurred in the life of King David. You know it well. 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 7. In the the reign of King David, in 1 Chronicles 13, verse 7, it says, They carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drave the ark. And David and all Israel played before the ark with all their might and was singing with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came into the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark and there he died before God. The case of how they carried the ark and how Uzzah was struck dead because he touched the ark. A couple of things, just a little bit of background there that we remember. Nobody was ever to touch the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, when they constructed it, they made rings in the four corners of the Ark so they could put rods through there and men could pick up the Ark with those rods without ever touching the Ark. weren't supposed to touch the Ark. When it was transported, it was supposed to be transported by those rods. Men were to carry it so that it would never be touched. Well, in this case, they didn't do it that way. In this case, they placed it on a cart. I assume they probably must have certainly used the rods to pick it up and set it on a cart. But they were not doing it the way that was specified. The specified way of carrying the ark was to carry it with those rods through the rings in the four corners. They were not carrying it that way. They were using an expedience, an expediency. That ox cart was an expediency that, you know, it would be easy to think, you know, it'd really be easier to carry this thing on an ox cart rather than to men to have to carry it. It's a pretty heavy thing. As we know, it was overlaid with gold and all, probably quite heavy. It'd be easier to put it on an ox cart. That'll work better for us, might have been the reasoning. Wrong, right? That was wrong. They were using an expediency, but it was not an authorized expediency because... Why why couldn't they do it that way? Because a different way had been specified. And so uh, we, we see here an example of expediency gone wrong. So again, just to remind us, an expedience is an is a means to an end, and it involves choosing what is fit or suitable for the purpose. And that being the case then scriptural expediency is involved only where opinion or judgment is allowed and never where something has been specified. All right. Now, we would add to this to say two things. Scriptural expedience must be lawful and they must edify. Well, 
this example that we just talked about here in in the case of David, that was an unlawful expediency. Uh, uh, They shouldn't have been doing it that way because God has specified what he wanted. Scriptural expedience must be lawful. Let me see if I can give you an example of something that might be pertinent to us. Um, A collection plate. You know, now, we haven't been doing this the last few weeks because we've been out in the parking lot and men have been using baggies to collect the, the contribution, which is just fine. But normally we have a, a collection plate, right? Uh, and they pass it around at, at that particular point of our worship service. They pass the collection plate around and people can place their contribution into the collection plate. Now, think about that for a minute. That's, that is an expedient, right? There's lots of ways we could have, in fact, we're proving out in the parking lot that you could do it a different way. You could use plastic baggies to collect the contributions. You could do it in other ways. The collection plate is an expedient. It's a means to an end. And it is authorized. But what if we use that very same collection plate on a day other than Sunday? We know according to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, that our collection is to be done upon the first day of the week, right? What if we did that on a different day? What, so, Wednesday night. We have a Wednesday night assembly, typically, right? And on Wednesday night, we pass that very same collection plate. It's not the exact same one we pass. Now, it's unlawful. Because the day of collection has been specified to use that same collection plate on a different day would not be lawful. So an expedient has to be lawful and also an expedient must edify. We understand the word edify means to build up, to strengthen, to make stronger. Uh, We have a right to choose, but our choices ought to promote peace and unity uh, what day are we to assemble to observe the Lord's Supper and to make our country first day of the week, right? But when the first day of the week is specified, as in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 and so forth, the time of day is not specific. And so we're, we're at liberty to choose a time on the first day of the week to come together for these purposes. What if it was decided... We're going to meet at 3 a.m. on Sunday morning. Now think about that a minute. 3 a.m. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday, 3 a.m. Would it be lawful? Yes. We would say it would be lawful because it is the appropriate day. It's the specified day. But I want to tell you, that absolutely would not edify, would it? We are not wanting to get up at 3 a.m. and get ready and come to worship service at 3 o'clock. So it'd be a lawful expedient, but it wouldn't edify. Scriptural expedience must do both things. They, it must be lawful and it must edify. Um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice... Uh, in verse uh, 23, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, all things are lawful for me. He's talking about that which is authorized. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And so that would be a verse that we would use to bear out. Uh, there it is. I had it on the chart. I forgot I had it on the chart. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not 
expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So notice, lawful, expedient, edify, all are in that one verse, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23. All right, quickly, let's make some applications now of specific, generic authority and expediency. Let's talk about music and worship. Music and worship, that's an important thing. Sometimes, you know, we are accused of not believing in music. We believe in music. We believe very much in music. We use music a lot. Uh, we believe in vocal music, singing. And the reason why is because of what's instructed of us in the Word of God. We're looking to Bible authority. When it comes to music and worship, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to look to Bible authority. We're going to look to New Testament authority for music and worship, right? That's what we're always supposed to do. Look for the authority. Where's the authority for what you're doing in regards to music and worship? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart uh, to the Lord. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so what we do is we sing. Now, what about that? Well, we would argue that that's specified. Singing is specified. That's why we don't have instruments of music in our New Testament worship, right? Because singing has been specified. It doesn't say sing and play a guitar. It doesn't say sing and play an organ. It doesn't, it doesn't mention instruments of music. Singing is specified. Now get this, just like Noah had to build an ark of gopher wood because gopher wood was specified. When it comes to music and worship, we sing because it's specified and everything else, when something is specified, everything else is excluded. Right? See that? So, understanding this business of Bible authority is key to that very important question about what kind of music are we going to have in our New Testament worship. We're going to have singing because it is specified. Now, even at that, of course, there are some things that are generic about singing uh, and therefore would be left up to our discretion and expedience. For instance, a songbook. A songbook is an expedient. Uh, it's a means to the end because... We're just saying that's specified, but we can use things that assist us in that singing uh, because uh, it's, it's uh, not said whether we must sing by memory or from reading. And so uh, since that's not specified, we could use expedience. We could sit or we could stand because we're still just singing uh, and so on and so forth. But in regards to the kind of music that we're to use, it's specified we are to sing. What about assembling for worship? You know Hebrews 10 verse 25 very well. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are to assemble. We're commanded to assemble. We're commanded not to forsake the assembling in Hebrews 10 verse 25. So there's the command... But notice there's some things not specified. Uh, the place of assembly is not specified. The time of assembly is not specified. So that's left in the realm of general things. The command to assemble is a requirement. 
the time and the place. That's left to our discretion. What is the best means to the end? What is that which is most fit or suitable to the purpose? We could meet under a shade tree. We could meet in the parking lot. Oh, we're doing that, right? I'll tell you, we, want, we don't want to do that indefinitely because that's not ideal. Last Sunday morning when there was just an absolute downpour of rain while we were worshiping, that proved that's not, that would not be a fit choice on a permanent basis, right? And so uh, we're to assemble. We know the day of assembly to observe the Lord's Supper and to contribute. Those acts of worship must happen on the first day of the week. We must come together in one place for these purposes. But what is that place? What is that time? Left to our discretion. We could talk about the Lord's Supper. We used it last week. We used it pretty thoroughly to illustrate uh, command, example, and necessary inference. Uh, some things about the Lord's Supper are specified. The elements to be used, the day of the week in which it's to be observed are specified. There, but there's still some things not specified, therefore we would use expedience because they are general in nature. Uh, time of day, number of containers to use for the fruit of the vine and so forth. Those would be expediencies because it's not specified in the scripture. And then finally, baptism. Now, we could talk about baptism. Uh, we know that baptism is a burial in water, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. It's a command for all penitent believers it's commanded. We're commanded to be baptized. Uh, so baptism is for those who have been taught, who confess and repent, they should be baptized. Well, you think about that, that specifies something about the candidates for baptism. Infants, for instance, are not fit subjects for baptism. They're excluded because of what's been specified about those who should be baptized. They must be taught, they must repent, they must confess and then be baptized. Infants can't do those things, therefore they're excluded. Only those who are able to do those things constitute fit subjects for baptism. But even at that, some things will be left to our judgment because they're not specified. For instance, where should the baptizing take place? Should, should it take place in a stream or a river or a lake or a baptistry? That's not specified, and so that'd be left to our judgment. And so, again, tonight we've concentrated on this part of our study, specific authority, generic or general authority, and expediency. This is really important, and uh, we need to understand these principles. This requires us to use our, our thinking capacities, use the good sense and the reasoning and logic that God has endued within us. Uh, we... we just have to use our heads a little bit to understand the scripture. Again, I would argue that when we're talking about Bible authority, we're talking about how do you go to the Bible and from it determine what God wants us to be doing. So the methods are command, example, and necessary inference. But within those are these issues of that which is specified, that's what, that which is left general. And in things that are general... We're free to use expediencies or means to the end. All right, that's our study for tonight and hope it's been helpful. Lord willing, we want to continue this study uh, and we'll do so next Sunday evening, Lord willing, as we continue to look at Bible authority.